0: Let's go. Let's go. Man, it is uh, such an incredible honor to be back with you at the Becoming Church and uh Man, our love for your pastors is, uh, is great, um, having been in ministry together with them, having actually been neighbors with them, and just seeing what God has done uh, just over the past two years uh, in this incredible vision and this incredible church at The Becoming. How I many of you know, this is not usual. There's something special that God is doing here in this community. And I'm glad that we get to be a part of that and helping to oversee the vision and um, uh, I send greetings from our other overseers, Vernon and, and Pastor Mark Benson, and uh, we've had uh, actually, we had a, a board meeting a few weeks ago, and God's got some really, really great stuff ahead for this church and uh, it is an honor to be with you again today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead, you can pull them out. turn to First Corinthians 13 and Philippians four it's great to have my girls with me and my mom and my wife Kim too so Great to have you guys out. They didn't want to hear me speak twice, so they just came to, uh, to the second service. So if you have not yet downloaded the TBC app, I encourage you to do so. You can stay connected with the app. You can stay connected with everything that's happening on uh, uh, the social media as well. There's links to all of that. Uh, but you can also download the app and, uh, and get the sermon notes every week. Uh, that you can write and then email to yourself, so there are notes on the app today and I know you guys have been in the summer playlist series, and you 've been talking about the values of TBC. How many of you know it 's good to always go back to what are the DNA of our family right? Uh, I love sitting around the table at holidays and you get to hear patriarchs and matriarchs and the family talk about the values and and uh, this summer's kind of just been like sitting around the table and, and getting back to this is who we are. This is what establishes us. This is what drives us. And, and today, I get the distinct honor of talking about one of your values, which is this. Joy is our decision. Amen. Joy is our decision. And I kind of chuckled, Pastor Michael, when, when you asked me to come and speak. And, and you said, hey, we're, you know, we're in this series, and, you know, can you kind of take this? this point, yeah, man, I'll I'll preach whatever you want me to preach about. He's like, oh, well, I want you to preach on joy. And actually, when I told Kim, she kind of laughed too. Um, You know, because we've been in a season where, uh, uh, like, God is doing incredible things, and and we feel like God is on the the precipice of just doing some great things. But uh, how many of you know sometimes, even in those moments, you have to decide for joy? Right? When the world's coming at you, uh, when you pop open social media and and you see everything that's happening, um, you know how you're supposed to look, <laughs> right? How you're supposed to act, what you're supposed to drive. All those things affect us. And can I tell you, uh, in every situation, in every season, we have been called to be people of joy. So uh, the title of the message today is always joy. In First Corinthians thirteen, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of tie this in a little bit. You may. Uh, you know, when when we read the scripture, you may be like, okay, how's this going to tie in? I'm going to tie it in at the end. But 1 Corinthians 13 says this in verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And then in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4, the apostle Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, and Lord, I pray that over these next few moments, you would anoint your word as it goes forward. Lord, it's living, it's active, and we thank you that you are the word made flesh, and I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring revelation to hearts and minds today as we look to your word, Lord, for strength, for wisdom, for guidance. It's in your precious and mighty name we pray, amen, amen. Some of you may remember this. How many of you were around in 1994? Right? Yeah. Hey, come on. Yeah. It was a good year. It was. It was a good year for some. For others, not so good. On April 6th, uh, from July, or from April 6th to July 15th in 1994, one of the worst genocides in recent memory happened in Rwanda, in which over those almost 90 days, almost 800,000 people were killed. It started with Rwanda, the Rwandan president, his plane was shot down out of the sky, killing everyone aboard. And the Hutus, which he was a member of that tribe, began to ethnically cleanse Rwanda by indiscriminately slaughtering opposing tribes because they thought that they were trying to take him out. Now, um, there was a 20-year-old woman from the tribe, the, the, the Tutsi tribe, and her name was Immacule Ilibegaze. And she survived this genocide for over 90 days by hiding with seven other women, in a bathroom about the size of 12 square feet. The bathroom was concealed in a, in a room behind a wardrobe in the home of, ironically, a Hutu pastor. Um, how many of you know that uh, God can even, in the midst of that, show love and bring people together? Now, uh, during this genocide, Immaculate lost most of her family, her father, her mother, and two of her brothers. They were all killed. And in her book, Led by Faith, Rising from the Ashes of the Rwandan Holocaust, which if if, if you're looking for a good read, go ahead and pick it up. You can get it on Amazon. She describes how her faith in Christ sustained her during the darkest moments of that situation and that she consistently was able to find joy in the midst of horrific tragedy Because of her faith in Christ. Now, hers is a story that is one of inspiration and salvation, and it's one of countless testimonies throughout history of Christians experiencing joy in the most difficult situations and hardships. And today, I want to briefly look at joy, and and I want to frame it in terms of the Apostle Paul's words and his life. And we're going to look a lot in the, in, in the book of Philippians, in this letter to the Philippians, because it's been called the joy letter. And, and then I want to close out by looking at how joy strengthens, informs, and completes the three great virtues that the Apostle Paul says remain, faith, hope, and love. Now, if, if you are unfamiliar with the Apostle Paul's life and missionary journey, I encourage you, uh, take a few weeks this summer, at, well, summer's almost over now, Take a few weeks and, and, and just read through the book of Acts because other than Jesus, he is the most influential person in the Christian faith, and his life was fraught with hardship and pain. In fact, when he wrote his letter to the Philippian church that we read earlier, he, he, he was in a place that was arguably a, a, a place where there could be no joy found. He was under Roman imprisonment in house arrest, and he was afflicted in his body. He was being persecuted. Now, this does not sound like a joyous place to be in, nor a joyous experience. Probably a lot like uh, holidays at your (laughs) in-laws. I know some of you guys want to say amen, but your wife's elbow's right there, ready to hit (laughs) you. But yet, Paul, even imprisoned and in pain, writes to the church in Philippi, a church that he founded in Acts 16 in the year 49 CE. And he says to them, Rejoice. Now, that word rejoice means to you decide to rejoice in the Lord always, and again, rejoice. Now, this type of joy that Paul is talking about here. It's not the passive type of joy. It's not something that's just happening to him, but it is proactive. He's made a decision. It's less a feeling and it's more a decision in action. It's deciding that whatever circumstance we are in, we choose joy in the Lord. Not joy in the circumstance. You shouldn't be excited that you're going through trials in you know in your flesh there's nothing great about that but you can be excited that in the trial God is doing something that in the trial he's forming you and shaping you that in the trial you're not alone but he's with you and he will complete everything he starts that's where we find our joy in those moments because when you have the Lord it does not matter If you're shackled in iron chains or you're dripped out in gold chains, because circumstances, good or bad, days and seasons, good or bad, don't dictate or define you or your destiny. God does. I'm going to say that again. Your circumstance, your trial, your tribulation does not dictate or define who you are or your destiny. God does that. We choose joy in the Lord, not joy in the circumstance, because our joy is in the one who transcends any and all circumstances. Listen, if you only experience joy on your best days, can I tell you this? You have not experienced true joy. You haven't experienced the best joy that's available. You know, as Christians, we can tend to think of joy as this light and fleeting feeling that comes and goes as life allows But listen to me today. The best joy is strong enough for the realities of life. Strong enough for the realities of all of your life. You know, we also tend to think as Christians that joy is optional. You know, just maybe icing on the cake as followers of Christ. In fact, many think some Christians get to be happy wishing they were one of the handful who got to be happy. Yet the Apostle Paul says plainly and unapologetically to the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Now, there's a lot of times I read scripture and I think to myself, I wouldn't have written it like that. And there's one word in this statement that I wouldn't have put in there, and that word is always. And it's because it's awe inspiring, but yet it's also daunting. Right? Joy in the Lord is great. Yes, I want to experience that. When you add that word always, how many of you know it carries a lot more weight? Yeah. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and listen, it's, it's awe-inspiring. That word is incredible because this, it means that always joy is possible. You can experience his joy always. And that's incredible and awe-inspiring. In Christ, we never have to be without genuine joy. And yet, it's daunting because how often we lose our sense of joy, the joy that God tells us to have in Scripture. Now, I love it here. Paul tells these people to have joy, and he repeats himself. Why does he repeat himself? Well, he knew how hard such always type of joy would be. He wrote these words, as he often did, from prison. And yet even in the loneliness that he was experiencing and uncertainty of captivity, he had found real joy and felicity. He could always say always because he had suffered so much and yet rejoiced even in those dark and lonely and painful places. Listen, if you don't get anything out of today, get this. Never settle for a God who cannot satisfy you in the prison cell. Never settle for a God who cannot satisfy you in the trial, in the tribulation, in the struggle. Never settle for it. Our joy is rooted in how well life seems to be going often. And if our joy is rooted in that, our joy will falter and it will fade when trials come our way. Unfortunately, more often than we want to admit in our lives, our joy is rooted in our feelings of security, of comfortability, of success, and of being liked. And so, real joy, the always joy that Paul kind of talks about, can feel foreign and dissident, and distant in our lives. Now, when, when Paul, who was writing this, he, he had a moment where he heard that some people were trying to diminish his ministry. And, and when his antagonists were, were trying to attack him, he had this to say. When his antagonists preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, wanting to wound him and undermine his ministry, he didn't respond with anger, bitterness, or resentment, but he resta- responded with joy. In Philippians 1.18, he said this, What then? Only in that, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I choose to have joy. Here he is. He's locked up. And he's got a bunch of guys that are trying to diminish his ministry. Saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about. And and they're trying to diminish him. And he says, listen, I don't care about that as long as they're preaching Christ and him crucified. And I will rejoice in that. How many of you know it takes more than human courage to rejoice when you've been mistreated? Can I get a witness? (laughs) Especially when you're in prison. Especially when you can't defend yourself. So where was his courage anchored? Where did it come from? Well, he writes in the next verses in verse 20 of chapter 1. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I love this resolve that Paul has. Paul could have joy in life or death because he lived and died for Christ. And nothing and no one could take from him Christ Because his faith and hope were firmly rooted in the joy and the honor and the glory of Christ Knowing that the worst things that might happen to him Could only ultimately serve him because Christ rules even over death So no matter what you do to me It doesn't matter Because I've already read the end of the book And I know we win So he's saying, throw your best at me because I'm going to remain joyful. Why? Because I know in whom I believe. Prisons may have kept him from speaking to crowds, but they only amplified the joy that he preached with. Adversaries could make his circumstances miserable, but his joy in God engulfed any short-lived misery that he was walking through or in. Listen, Satan threw everything imaginable at him. And today you may feel like that, right? He was beaten with rods, stoned almost to death, shipwrecked, stranded, attacked by robbers, left without food and shelter. He, he was suffering danger from every direction, he says. Yet he rejoiced. Few have suffered for the gospel like this man has. And few have suffered with more joy. How I many of you know we can learn from Paul today? To have true joy and suffering, we have to want Jesus more than anything else, including peace and comfort. You see, Paul didn't choose joy in Christ because he couldn't find joy anywhere else. We find joy in many things, but can I tell you, to find true, complete joy, it must be in Christ. In Philippians 3, Paul talked about all the things that he found joy in. He had tasted and enjoyed the glory of success and popularity. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the most zealous, the uh, most blameless, and the most recognized. And when he chose to follow Jesus, he surrendered the kind of life that others would have died for. And he surrendered that life for more meaning and joy, not less You see, after listing all that he had earned and accomplished, he says this in Philippians 3, verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them to be rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Listen to me today. In the end, we do not forfeit joy to have Christ. Because whatever we trade away in this life, we receive back a hundredfold now and in the age to come. Joy in Christ is far better than any other pleasure or achievement or prize. So the question is then, how do we guard this joy that we have in Christ? Well, the answer is we can't. We can't do it, not in and of ourselves. Any joy we have in Christ is always perpetually under assault by Satan, by sin and temptation, by suffering, by life in a world still enslaved to corruption, by our own stupid decisions often. However, we can persevere in this joy that we have in God by asking God himself to guard it. We pray, but not just any prayer. Two verses after saying, rejoice in the Lord always, Paul writes this, do not be anxious, about anything. Now that word anything means anything that might hinder or compromise your joy in the Lord. He had just been talking about that. So he's like, anything that is going to take away your joy in the Lord, don't be anxious about it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Praying like this diminishes anxiety and it strengthens the joy that we experience in Christ. Because for believers, you and me, joy is not optional. It is central and essential in empowering us to live in a way that brings glory to God. I often think of joy as the the light in a lighthouse. How many of you have ever been around somebody who is not a joyful person? Don't say anything, my family. (laughs) Right? But how many of you know that that one person, when they walk in the room, it's just like, boom, the whole room lights up. They're just walking in joy. Man, there's something powerful about that. God wants that, that joy in our life to be a light to the world. That when they look at us, even when we're walking through trial and tribulation, there's still a light of joy in our hearts and minds. And people say, man, there's something different about that person. There's something different about that guy. As we get ready to, to land the plane this morning, I, w- I want to look at how the decision for joy strengthens, informs, and completes our faith, our hope, and our love. Three foundational virtues that Paul writes about in 1 Corinthians 13. He wrote these. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And in James chapter 1, James was the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't really believe in Jesus until after he resurrected, but was the first to pen a letter that went out to the churches. He wrote this in verse uh, 2 of chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let the steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Today, we must realize this that our joy in the Lord strengthens our faith in the Lord. Our joy strengthens faith. The decision for joy in the trial will strengthen our faith and empower us to remain steadfast, which will in turn perfect and complete us. In in many ways, you could say it like this Our sanctification is congruent with our joy. The more we're sanctified, the more we increase in joy. The more we increase in joy, the more we become sanctified. They move in tandem together. And as we joyfully embrace every trial and circumstance, the good and the perceived bad in our lives. The Holy Spirit is perfecting and completing us. How does he do it? Because God doesn't view our trials like we do. Romans eight twenty eight. Some of you probably have it tattooed on your body somewhere. It says this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Not some things, all things. Not triumphs, not victories alone, but even struggles and defeats and failures. Work together for the good. If you are called according to his purpose. In fact, after the first service, Pastor Michael, I was standing up here and a woman came up and she pulled her shirt sleeve back. (laughs) Romans (laughs) 8.28. It was great. We were commanded to come on. Give me that joy. (laughs) Be joyful because in every trial and in every triumph, in every failure and in every victory, God is making all things good for you because you love Him and you've been called according to His purpose. Come on, I'm speaking to myself today as well. Because we have faith in God, our joy is not based on circumstances. So whether you just lost your job or you just made your first million, your joy should be consistent and unwavering because it's anchored and found in God, not in success. Now, don't get me wrong. It's a lot easier to be joyful when you got a million in the bank. (laughs) Let's let's just be real here, right? But the real test is when you don't have a dime in your bank and you got a hundred bills, are you going to be joyful? You're going to walk in the same joy? Come on. That's where the rubber meets the road. So our joy strengthens our faith. Because we have joy in God and not in circumstances. Our joy should be consistent and unwavering because it is anchored and found in him and him alone. Joy also informs our hope. Romans 15, 13 says this. May the God of hope fill you with what? All joy. And peace and believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I love how all these virtues, all the fruit of the Spirit is just entwined together. You know, faith is belief in God in the present moment, in His promises. I have faith that God is moving right now, and hope is expectation in God that he is unwavering and that he will do what he says he will do. It looks forward. They're both uh, two sides to one coin of trust in God. When I trust in God, I have faith for the moment and I have hope for the future. Romans 8.24 says this. Now hope that is seen is what? Not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope sees past the present moment and looks to our promised future glory. And it is joy that informs and empowers us to focus on that which we hope for, even in trials. You know, often, I encourage people that are walking through seasons in their life where they're struggling to stop looking down and start to look up. Because when you look up, your hope will be clear. Often, it's hard to fight the fight of faith when everything's coming at you. But just take a moment and look up. Look up and let that joy of the Lord begin to well up in you because it will feed the hope that we have. And the hope that we have is is not hope in some fairy tale. It's hope in this, that Jesus Christ came to the earth. He died on a cross for my sin and your sin. He was buried in the ground, but he didn't stay buried. On the third day, he was resurrected, and now he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and for me. That is the hope that we have. And because of that hope, I can have joy in the midst of the trial, even though my, I may be in chains, even though my bank account may be on zero, even though there's no food in the pantry, even though the car just broke down, even though the doctor just said you, you're positive, It doesn't matter what I'm facing or what I'm walking through. I can have joy always and in every situation. And it's the hope that we have in Christ. It's the hope that we have and the joy that informs that hope that will help us to stand steadfast in faith in the trial. Paul encouraged the Roman church. He said, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Be joyful in hoping. But how can we be joyful in present trials, right? Because our hope is in Christ, as I said, and he has already won. And this realization should bring you joy. No matter what part of the story your life is in, It may be in the worst cliffhanger of the story in your life. You may have no hope in the natural. Can I tell you? You can have joy in that moment because we have hope in the one who has conquered it all. And I've read the end of your story. Guess what? We win with him. We win with him. And that should bring you joy, unspeakable and full of glory. Be joyful in hoping. So joy strengthens our faith. Joy informs our hope. And in closing today, Johnny, if you would come. I told the first service I haven't said that in three years. Joy is only complete in Christ's love. True joy The joy that Paul's talking about here is only complete when it is founded in Christ's love. In the book of John, in John 15, Jesus is having a meal with his disciples on the night before he is about to be tried and executed. And one quarter of the book of John actually is dedicated to this one meal, this one conversation he's having with his apostles. And in John 15, Jesus says this in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me... So I have loved you. Abide in my love. How many of you are thankful that you're loved today? He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full, complete, lacking nothing. We can have the true, full and complete joy of Christ abiding in us always. You know, many people look for joy in things that can never give real or complete full joy. No achievement, no accomplishment, no passion, no hobby, no profession, no career, no home, no vehicle. No amount of money, no amazing meal, no great piece of music, no transcendent work of art, no concert, even no church service, nothing you create, no temporal relationship, friend, spouse, parent, or child, any and all the things we experience as humans, none of them can bring us full and complete joy. None of them except Christ. Only he can do that. True and complete joy comes from obedience to Christ and abiding in his transformational, empowering, and perfect love. And when we live in his complete joy, can I tell you something? It magnifies all of the other things that bring joys in our lives. When you are in Christ and you have his joy, it makes every relationship richer. It makes every motive purer. It makes every moment realer. It makes every trial bearable. It makes every failure forgivable. It makes every affliction endurable. It makes every test passable. It makes every experience more meaningful. Anything that brings you joy must find its fulfillment in Christ.